Good afternoon. Is anybody there? Let's get started this afternoon. Um, while I was out at lunch, I heard about the, uh, the awful fight they had last night at the chart house. Did any of you hear about it? There was battered fish everywhere. Okay. This afternoon we have Theodore Drake here and he's going to tell us about male chimps and QuickBooks. Hi everybody. Thank you for coming. You know, it's nice to be back in the casino. It's been two years of the virtual ones and we've changed over the years, but um, it, it, it really is nice to be back in back in the room. Now, I have to say that I wasn't planning on coming today. I was actually planning on a couple of our people from MailChimp coming in. MailChimp, if you don't know, is a marketing. It lets you do your emails. It lets you set up advertisements, even sending postcards. But I'm not an expert on MailChimp. <laughs> so instead, what I was going to do is um, bring in some ideas. I've, I've been coming to Sagebrush for probably about 10 years now. And um, after 10 years of talking with the vendors and getting an idea as to what, what you're working on, I thought, what are some very simple marketing opportunities that you can use today? Um, I don't know if you're already using these. Some of you are, some of you are not. But let me just explain a few things. The first thing at Intuit, by the way, my name is Ted Drake. I, I lead accessibility at Intuit. So that's QuickBooks, that's TurboTax, Mint, Credit Karma, MailChimp. Um, and as I said, we've been sponsoring this conference for like six or seven years, and I've been coming here before then. At Intuit, we're a customer-focused company, which means that we're constantly trying to get the customer's feedback. That is how we do stuff. We find out what barriers are there, and we try to fix them. So one of the things that we use is what's called a net promoter score. Has anybody in this room used a net promoter score with their business? It Someone over here said that they have used it. Okay, great. For those that don't know, you've done it. You've experienced a net promoter score. You just may not realize it. These are those very simple forms that say, would you recommend this vending machine to your friend from a 1 to a 10? It's a very simple form, but what we're doing is we're saying, what is the loyalty and the customer satisfaction on this item? It could be for an item in your vending machine. It could be your cafe. It could be the daily special. It could be your concession stand. It's a way of getting feedback. A little bit more difficult if you're working in prisons because you're probably not going to be using uh, uh, cell phones and QR codes. But it's really good for the transient ones, like, for instance, in a rest area where you're never seeing those people. But it would be really nice to get feedback. So is what there is there? <laughs> Hi, artist. So what is uh, a net promoter score? As I mentioned, it's a, it's a question from 1 to 10. How much do you like the product? How, not necessarily how much do you like, but would you recommend it to someone? Now, if you're using that 1 to 10, what we look at is who are the promoters and who are the detractors? And you take the detractors and you subtract them from your promoters, it sounds complicated. What you end up with is your net promoter score. So what is a detractor? A detractor is someone that voted one through, I think, six. Yes. If they said that one through six, which essentially means that they either don't like your product or they're not committed to it, they couldn't care less, they're considered a detractor. 
A neutral is someone that votes a seven or eight. So what we're looking for are those people that vote nine or 10. And so when you get a nine or a 10, that's someone that says, I'm gonna go and next time I go on this uh, freeway and I'm gonna stop at the, uh, I gotta figure out which rest area to stop at. I'm gonna stop at this one because I really like your vending machines. And I'm gonna tell my friends that they should stop at this one and use the vending machines. So how do you do a net promoter score? There is a calculation, it's really simple. You take the number of people that gave you a nine or 10, and you subtract the number of people that gave you one through six. And hopefully you end up with a positive score. So if you end up with more promoters than detractors, then you end up with a positive score, and that is a good thing. If you get a score of about 20%, that is a really good score. And if you get a score of like 50 or 60, that's excellent. Um, but this is also might be sounding like it's a little complicated. What I would recommend, what I use is SurveyMonkey. SurveyMonkey is free. It's also probably one of the most accessible survey tools out there, at least for the person that's filling in the form. So you can go to SurveyMonkey and create a quick uh, free account using LinkedIn or Facebook. You create a survey and you say, I want it to be a customer support and I want to add the uh, NPS, Net Promoter Score. I would also recommend no more than one other question. So that other question might be, what would you like to see in this vending machine? Or uh, any comments, but make it really short. The essentially thing is you want people to be able to say, okay, I'll scan the QR code. Okay, I'll do this, because it's only going to take me 15 to 30 seconds. I can commit to that. But when you start asking people to fill in five or six sheets, it's not going to happen. And the other thing about a net promoter score is you've got to track it. So it's not something you just do once, because once is great, but you're going to act upon it. You're going to realize that people really like something, and you're going to start stocking yeah. that more. Or you're going to get requests back. So then a month later, what's your net promoter score? Yeah. And then a month later, what's your net promoter score? So net promoter scores are used oftentimes in, in the industry because it's a way for us to get that loyalty and understanding what we're doing. Whenever I kick off a, a conference or something like that, that's part of hosting it, is to get that net promoter score. Again, SurveyMonkey, really good. If you haven't tried SurveyMonkey, it's a very simple interface. We don't own SurveyMonkey, so I have no control over it, but I can tell you that the surveys they create are pretty accessible. For creating QR codes, you can do that through Google Chrome. There's actually a way that when you, say, you try to share uh, the article with someone, there's an option to create a QR code out of Google Chrome. The other thing that uh, we tend to think about is there's this concept called Think Smart. Now, I'm not an acronym person, but the acronym SMART means specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. So when you're creating your marketing strategy, think about those things. So I've got a goal, and I want to raise my sales um, of ice cream by 10%. That's kind of a vague goal. What you want is a goal that is smart, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. So here's an example. I'm gonna consolidate the feedback from our net promoter score survey during the first week of every month. So that's doable and it's time-based. I'm gonna create a plan to improve satisfaction by the end of each month for a 15% increase in sales for 2023. So that basically says every the beginning of every month I'm gonna 
check my NPS. I'm going to look at the comments. I'm going to make a plan. So by the end of the month, I plan on having a higher net promoter score. At the end of the year, I have 15% increased sales. So SMART is not like a big uh, thought process. It's just a way of saying, if I'm going to make a goal, I want to make it reasonable. And I want to put some kind of measurement to it. Now I'm looking at my time. It's a little bit limited, so I'm going to go to the final subject, which is Chat GPT. Has anybody used Chat GPT? <laughs> so what is Chat GPT? I've been in artificial intelligence and machine learning for a long time. I used to, I worked for Yahoo before I worked for Google uh, for Intuit. So I've been dealing with machine learning and artificial intelligence for a long time. This is really good stuff. What it is, in a nutshell is it's a website you can go to. When you go to that website, you ask it a question. And it's really, really good at creating text, documents. And it's, been, it's using the knowledge of everything that was published before 2020. So all of the encyclopedias, all the websites, all of that has allowed it to create this robust knowledge. So what does that mean for you? Let's say that you're trying to kick off some advertisements for the daily menu. Let's say that in your vending machine you want to add um, like placards that say, you know, this item is out of sale. Or you want to invite people to uh, welcome back to the community or welcome back to the store. Here are some examples that I did earlier. So what I did was I went to the input and I said, announce fish and chips as the daily special of my cafe. And what ChatGPT said was, today's special at our cafe, colon, hot and crispy fish and chips. Enjoy a classic British dish with a side of tartar sauce. Treat yourself to a delicious meal only here at our cafe. So in other words, you may be thinking, I got to put up a sign. How am I going to do this? What? I don't want to think about it. You go to ChatGPT, you ask it a question, and it does it. But one of the other cool things is you can modify that request. So here's an example. Imagine you have a vending machine and it has ramen noodles. And when it runs out of ramen noodles, you want to put like a little sign. <clears throat> so I said, create a small sign for ramen noodles. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a different one. Create a sign for ramen noodles. Satisfy your craving with ramen noodles, warm, savory, and full of flavor. Get your bowl now. Or maybe you want it to be a uh, Facebook post. Craving something warm and comforting? Try a ramen noodles. With its savory broth and tender noodles, it's the perfect lunch or dinner option. Come by and enjoy a bowl today. Hashtag ramen noodles, hashtag comfort food. So I was talking about what happens when you run out of Twizzlers in your vending machine, and maybe you want to put up a little sign. I said, um, make a sign saying we're out of Twizzlers. Make it sound like Jay-Z said it. And so it came back with, yo, Twizzlers all gone. Got to wait for the refill. Peace. <laughs> and then I thought, well, how about Miss Piggy? Um, so it said for Miss Piggy, moi is sorry to announce Twizzlers are no longer available. Don't you worry your little piggy noses. They'll be back soon. Au revoir. Um, it's not the most accessible site. And in fact, I can pull it up and I can show a demo real quick. But it's only got a few buttons that are unlabeled. It's got one input. So let me pull over to Chrome and I'll give you a quick example. Four minutes. Um, now I'm going to be using VoiceOver. VoiceOver on Chrome. Vanilla Latte Bourbon. Google Chrome. Chat. Intuit.com. Window. Edit text. Blend. That's what I was going to ask. 
I don't have time to type it all out, so I'm going to copy and paste something in. So what I'm going to copy and paste in, so the page is basically on the left side, you have a navigation of what you've already asked it. So if you want to go back and get it, you can. In the center of the page is a thread of messages like you might see in Messenger or in a text message or a chat where you have the chat in the center. At the bottom is a single input. It's a text input. It's got a button that's unlabeled for submit. And each of the, each of the uh, suggestions are going to be added to the page above the input. And they've got unlabeled buttons for a thumbs up, thumbs down. So let me paste in. Welcome people back to the office and to grab a vanilla latte at the cafe. Make it sound like Sammy Davis Jr. You so, <clears throat> since we're in Las Vegas, I wanted to make an announcement that we could send out to everybody in the office building saying, hey, welcome back to the office building. Come get a vanilla latte. But I want it to sound like Sammy Davis Jr. So I'm going to hit return. Welcome people back to the office and to grab a vanilla latte at the cafe. Make it sound like Sammy Davis Jr. That's not what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to turn that back on. So let me just Google navigate Google this real quick. Oh. No, I've got Wi-Fi. Let me see if I can do that one more time. Well, I'll tell you what. I did this. Anybody that's done a demo knows you have to plan for it. Come on. Oh, I know. Leaving vanilla button, groove, button, groove. Hey there, cats and kittens. Get ready to swing on back to the office. Grab your hat. And don't forget to stop by the cafe for a delicious and spicy cinnamon mocha. It's the perfect treat for the coolest cats in town. So let's get our groove on and make it a fantastic day. All the way. You are currently on the text element. So the way that that works, that's the layout of that application. It's really simple. So don't be intimidated by it. You go to chat.openai or just search for ChatGPT and you'll get in there. Create a quick account uh, with your email address, and then you can start making these requests. Once you do that, you can go in there and you can say Control-C, copy that text, and then put it into whatever you need. Um, Chappy GPT is excellent for creativity. If you need to do something, but you don't have the, uh, the creative spirit that day, then this is where it's really good to have it do stuff. And it can, it can create large articles, like if you needed to create an About Us page, or if you just need to create small signs, paste these back into whatever you're doing. And I think I'm out of time. Perfect timing. I don't have time for questions, but tomorrow I'll be in the trade show. If you want to take a look at ChatGPT or anything else, I'll be available. Thank you. Thank you. Ted, if I could get you to... Just hold on for one minute. Scott Egan here. And Ted, I'd like to present you with a plaque here from the Randall Shepard Vendors of America from our Sagebrush BEP training conference. Uh, special uh, recognition to Intuit Incorporated. They are our zebra sponsor and um, telling us that it's the 42nd annual here at the Golden Nugget. 
And in uh, appreciation from myself and RSVA, thank you so much, Ted, for being with us this thank week. Thank you so much. Thank you. I always look forward to it. And uh, now that... Give Ted a uh, hand. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Scott. Yes. I want to um, tell folks I have a beginning code that actually started before Ted's presentation. Okay. But us, us Zoomers weren't on <laughs> right away. So um, the beginning code is... Um, B two two nine V B is in boy two two nine V is in victory. All right, thank and you, artist. Did artists. you do any door prizes at the beginning? What's that? Did you do any door prizes? No, I, I well, I just walked in the room, but I don't believe we did. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know who opened, so uh, okay. Um, we can do a, a couple now if you like. Sure. Or if you want to wait, it's up to you. Uh, let's let's wait a little bit. Let me open up my phone and find all that good stuff. But I'm going to turn it back to our afternoon cruise director here. So. Okay. Thanks. No problem. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I love cruising. <laughs> okay. The next item on our agenda is innovative trading and outreach to blind and visually impaired. Lee Hoffman is our speaker. Is he here? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay, actually I'm co-presenting today with Lori Scharf, who is also with the American uh, Printing House for the Blind. Lori, are you available as well? Yes, I'm here. Why don't you go ahead and start first and tell us a little bit about the Connect uh, Career Connect and the program. And as I'm a, as what I'm going to be speaking about as a part of the overall, why don't you kind of go ahead and give us the overall version and uh, I'll follow up. Sure. Okay. Um, so my name is Lori Scharf and I'm with APH Career Connect and the Connect Center. The Connect Center is a host of services available such as our information and referral line, Vision Aware and Family Connect, and folks who've been around for a while may remember that we used to be part of the American Foundation for the Blind. We're now with the American Printing House for the Blind. And today we're going to specifically discuss Career Connect and uh, that aspect of the Connect Center. So Career Connect um, is a host of resources basically that are online and we have blogs, we have news articles, informational articles, we have um, what we call career conversations which started a little over a year ago and each month we highlight an individual who is blind or low vision and we focus on the their aspects of their career, how they got there, um, you know, different things like that. And we've had some really great presenters over the last year and couple of months. Uh, this coming March, what are we in now? We're in, what is this, February? Jeez. I, do I really know where I am? Um, this coming March, we just concluded one at the, the first week in February with Zelda Gebhardt, where she spoke about changing vision throughout her career, meaning relating to her vision loss, not a career change because of 
wanting to do something different. And in March, we will be focusing on Kim Charlson, who many of you know the name of. Um, and Kim will be talking about her career at the Perkins Talking Book and Braille Library. We also have an advisory committee, and that advisory committee consists of two committees, one of students, um, college-age students primarily. I think we may have one or two that are high schoolers. And then we also have a professional advisory committee as well. And we um, work through those advisory committees on coming up with topics. In April, we will be starting what's called Employment Conversations, and that will be another webinar. And that one will be focusing on disclosure of disability during the employment process. So when are the different times and what are different reasons to disclose at various points and, um, you know, those types of things. I have already... Um, you know, thought about having somebody from Randolph Shepard. So if anybody is interested in appearing on the uh, career conversations as a Randolph Shepard vendor, feel free to reach out to me at the end. I'll give my email address. And um, I really, because vending can be so different, um, through the Randolph Shepard program, I was thinking that we may have two people with very different aspects of the program, um, as well as possibly a separate show through the employment conversations, which will be quarterly, um, giving like an overview of the program and the, the, the initial training and those types of things. So um, you guys will be featured coming up. That's, that's in the I've only been here since September, so <laughs> um, have had to kind of hit the ground and figure things out. And now I'm going to turn it over to Lee to talk about our um, Job Seekers Toolkit. And this is something that could be used by individuals who might be mentoring a student who's blind or low vision. And Lee, if you could also touch on the Transition Hub, because... My feeling, if you're okay with that, or I can, um, my feeling is that vendors who might be looking for help in their, um, their stands could reach out to the transition agencies um, to locate youth in their area. Thanks, Lori. Thanks for talking about I certainly oh, can do Lee, that. There, that's better. I was going to say we can't hear you too good, but that's better. Go ahead. How is that? Good. Great. Uh, thank you for sort of the overview of the uh, Career Connect at APH. And the transition, uh, excuse me, the Job Seekers Toolkit is really part of the whole employment process when it comes to Career Connect. And this really came from the Job Seekers Toolkit at one point was one great big PDF document. And through our partnership, APH's partnership with Insight.org, uh, we have turned it from a PDF document into a learning management system. And what that is, is a set of five learning modules that are number one, online. Number two, they are uh, self-paced. They're completely free. They're completely accessible and just available to anybody that's looking for a career change or to, be, to begin a career to get you started on the right path for success. Um, when you go to the Career Connect main page, there's a link there for the Job Seekers Toolkit. Or if you happen to be on insightorg.org, you can go there and link to the Job Seekers Toolkit as well. 
And when you first go to this Job Seekers Toolkit, what you'll want to do is create an account, which is a very simple process of name, email address, a little bit of information that gets you registered and gets you signed up. And so what you might think is, you know, who really can benefit from this Job Seekers Toolkit? And there's really three main audiences that we have in mind for the Job Seekers Toolkit. And one is, as you may think, transition age students who are transitioning from uh, either high school to college or high school to trade school or from you know, schooling to the world of work. That's the first audience. The second audience would be people who are new in the early years of their career who are still wanting to learn the ins and outs and possibly change their career path. And the third audience that we've identified really for the Job Seekers Toolkit is professionals in the field who assist people in becoming career ready and in finding employment. So those are our three main audiences. And when you get to the Job Seekers Toolkit, those five modules include Number one is self-awareness, and that is really where you have to start if you want to find the job or career that you really want is really identifying what your strengths are, you know, what are you good at, what are your certifications, what is your education, and maybe what are your weaknesses. Now, nobody wants to talk about a weakness, and I get it. I don't either, but those need to be identified so that you will, number one, learn how to, or think about how to build the bridge for that weakness. How do you build that up? How do you bolster that? Uh, what might you need to do as far as receiving additional training or additional education? So learning a little bit about what your what your ideas are, getting either down on paper or down in an electronic format, you know, what you're good at, what your skills are, those types of things. Course two is really about career exploration and finding out about the jobs you think you're interested in. And the Job Seekers Toolkit talks about things like informational interviews, so interviewing somebody that's doing the work that you think you may want to do, uh, asking them the, what do they like about their job? What don't they like? What does it take to succeed in this field? And get some of that insider information about you know, what really happens in that type of a role that you're looking into and uh, whether you would really maybe think that that's for you or maybe uh, want to pursue something else. So a little bit of career exploration. So the third part of the Job Seekers Toolkit really is about the tools needed to find the job. And so back when I first started looking for jobs, it was the classified section, which tells me a little bit about my age. But today, that's really no longer the place. It talks about different job boards that are available, different websites that people go to today. Uh, one of the really the important stressors in this particular module is the topic of networking and defining you know, who is in your network. What is a network? How do I build it? What do I, how do I use it to find jobs or uh, find an opportunity in the field that I might want to go in? So that's the third uh, module in the Job Seekers Toolkit. The fourth is the interview process. And this is all about sharpening your interview skills, about um, the actual conversation of the interview as a person who may be blind or visually impaired. You know, things that come up in the toolkit are, that are discussed are, how do you disclose a disability? When is the right time to do that? What are the pros? What are the cons? What might be right for you may not be right for somebody else. And these takes, this takes you through all the different considerations that you might want to think about when you move through that process of the interview. And five is really about maintaining the employment that once you get that job or even helping you to advance in that career once you've uh, gotten to the job and are there for a little while. What is unique about the Job Seekers Toolkit is during all of these uh, or all of these different modules, there is a section that you do read, 
And then after each one, there are activities or projects that you do to put into practice what the section has been about. So for one of them, like the one about networking, it has you list out everybody that you really know that you think is in your network and think about how do you know them? How long have you known them? What type of work do they do? How might they help you find a job that you're interested in? Um, there are information in there about getting organized, keeping yourself on track with you know, placing um, or submitting resumes or submitting an application, following up, keeping all those records intact in an accessible manner that you can uh, access them easily as you move through your job search process. So all the activities are really what bring this Job Seekers Toolkit to life and really make it manageable and really be the one-stop shop for the, the process of learning to get employment. So the more you put time, energy, and effort into those activities, I believe the better you will be at actually having the, achieving your goal of finding the career and the job that's right for you. So I would invite everybody on the call to visit the Job Seekers Toolkit either by going to Insight, which is nsite.org, or going to the Career Connect page and finding the link to it there and just exploring it. Uh, it is self-paced. You can go at your own pace. And um, as I said, it's completely accessible and completely free. I encourage you to use it. And the Career Connect webpage is, um, oh, it just went out of my head. It's aph.org. Careerconnect.org. I thought it had APH in it. <laughs> you can always Google it. <laughs> yeah, and it'll probably take you right to, right to where you need to yeah. go. We, we are in the process of transitioning our website, so some of us have been playing around with a, a mocked-up version of the new stuff. So. <laughs> Touch on it. She can kind of work with me on this too. Is that what's the transition hub, which is a feature of Career Connect? And the transition hub is really a database or a listing of all the different resources that APH is aware of in different areas that help people with transition. So if you live in Chicago, Illinois, and you wanted to learn about all the different types of support that might be available there, the transition hub will list all the resources, again, that we're aware of that offer transition services. Uh, in the Chicago area. One other way that you can use this transition hub and the database, if you want to go to school, for example, in Dallas, Texas, even though you're not there, you can use the Job Seekers Toolkit or the, the transition hub to search areas in Dallas, Texas that provide those transition skills so that you can find those folks that will be able to help you there and make some connections with them before you actually move to where you're going to be uh, relocating to. So different ways to use the Transition Hub, just connecting you to resources that will help with transition. And the, the Transition Hub is for um, services primarily for youth between the ages of around 14, 15, 16, that age, up to about 24. It's going to depend on the program and their funding streams as to what ages they serve. And um, that's why I was saying, if you're looking for somebody to help out and maybe do some mentoring and that type of thing, it is a great resource to make connections because very often these programs have a component that's a um, career experience. And sometimes that's during the summer. But in New York City, for example, they have programs going all through the school year in a lot of those areas. So... Um, 
you know, that is a, a place that you guys can reach out for possible employees. And I think that's pretty much what we have to say. Donna, back to you. All right. Well, I, I think at this portion, I think we'll do another door prize. Um, we still have one more speaker for this panel. Oh, do we? Okay. Should I just introduce myself? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm, I'm trying That's to get okay. up to speeder. No problem at all. This is Cindy Hollis, and I am manage, Manager of Membership Engagement with the American Council of the Blind. And I will try and be really brief, but I do have something pretty exciting to share and make everyone aware of. And that is something that we never anticipated, could not have, because it was born out of uh, a pandemic. And started with two conference calls in the middle of March and has morphed into a hundred what we call now community events each week. And uh, these are held via Zoom. About 25% of them are also on Clubhouse in, in conjunction with Zoom. And about 25% are also streamed on ACB Media and then made into podcasts. These events are facilitated by, hosted by, planned by people who are blind. And of course the intended intended audience are people who are blind or visually impaired as well. And they include topic areas around such as meditation to yoga, crafting to book clubs, learning languages and music, experiencing peer-to-peer -peer support uh, with the, for those with new loss of vision or around other life challenges, receiving technology training and support, and enjoying social activities as well. And as I listened to some of the program, it made me think that we are a resource for each of you as well. If there is an area that you have an expertise in, or if you just want to let people know about vending this program, see if you could uh, educate people about possibly wanting to go into the vending program. Uh, we would love to have you bring an event to community. It could be an organization such as uh, we have had in the past and continue to have Nonprofits such as the Hall Foundation and Learning Center, Vispero, and others that have and continue to hold programming for us. And if you have not yet taken advantage of it, we'd sure love for you to do so. Uh, we have held now nearly 12,000 events since March 17th, 2020, so not even three years yet. And uh, it's been a real exciting whirlwind uh, three years indeed, and uh, we welcome everyone to participate. Membership is not required. I always say that we don't check ID at the door, and that is true. Our, all of our events are intended to remain safe, respectful, and welcoming, and we have people of all ages joining in to our calls. The youngest so far has been eight years old and the oldest 91 that I know of. 
And uh, if you are interested in receiving our daily schedule of events, we send out an email each night with the next day's events, uh, including all of the Zoom, Clubhouse, ACB Media information. You can drop an email to community at acb.org. That's community at acb.org. And let us know you'd like to be subscribed to receive our daily schedule. Or if you're interested in holding an event, really the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit on the topics that you might want to bring. So we'd love to have you join us. And I thank you for the opportunity to share. Thanks. Okay. Cindy, I'm sorry I kind of ran over you there, but uh, all right. I, I think we're up on uh, in between speakers now, right? Okay. So we yes, do. Yes, yes. We just, okay. um, those so, who want to take questions, we do have a few minutes that so we could take questions from those three speakers. Sure. Does anyone have questions? One last call. Does anyone have a question for those last three speakers? And thank you, speakers. That was very entertaining. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Yes, and I can just share my email address. It's Lori, L-O-R-I, Scharf, S-C-H-A-R-F-F, at gmail.com. All right. I'm going to share mine as well. It is L. Huffman, eight, so it's L-H-U-F-F-M-A-N at A-P-H dot O-R-G. All right, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. All right, I think at this point uh, we'll have another door prize and then we'll move into our next speaker. So, um, artist, just... Neil to, can also give an ending code if you want me to give that. Okay, let's, uh, let's do the door prize and then we'll do the ending code. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay, so artist, just a heads up, I have a replacement for you who's going to call out the next name here. Okay. I am a poor replacement for artist. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Eileen Galang. I may have said your last name wrong. Sorry, G A L A N G. Are you here or are you online? Raise your hand if you're in the room or raise your hand virtually if you're online. She's in person. Okay. Well, she doesn't appear to be here, so we'll move on to the next nope. one. All right. The next lucky winner is Mike Pembley. Pemble? Oh, we got a winner here in person. Okay, so then I'll give the ending code, which is B279 T. And again, that is B is in boy, 279 T is in Taylor. Thank you, artist. Our next uh, speaker is John Funk. And he's going to talk to us about hiring and retaining employees. And that's, these days, that's a difficult task. So, John, are you here? 
He's online. Okay. John is not here at the moment, guys. He is not here. I do have a beginning code for the next session, and that is B is in boy six eight or no B is in boy two six eight S, and again that is B two six eight S. Excuse me, I I skipped a speaker. So I get 30 lashes with a wet noodle. Okay, we're going to talk about what resources are available for support for vendors and other visually impaired employees. Mary Ann Grignan, is she here or online? Good afternoon. First, I want to thank um, RSVA for inviting um, and allowing accessible pharmacy services here to talk about what we do. Um, my name is Marianne Grignan and I represent the state of Florida. Essentially, I represent accessible pharmacy services. So I'm gonna give you a, a brief um, description. I have about 10 minutes and I'll take questions, so I'll keep it brief. So accessible pharmacy services for the blind was begun actually in the heart of the pandemic in March of 2020, was, it was conceived and, and actually launched in April of 2020 by Andrew Burstein and Alex Cohen. Alex Cohen is an interesting character. He um, lost his vision in around his 20s to RP, retinitis pigmentosa, and um, did it, his doctoral dissertation on the accessibility of retail um, spaces and found that pharmaceutical was the most inaccessible of all. So he and Andy conceived the idea of accessible pharmacy services and launched it in April of 2020. It's the largest healthcare um, owned, healthcare business owned by a blind person. Um, what they do essentially, and it sounds um, pretty, it sounds more, much more simple than it is, is they are a delivery, um, pharmaceutical delivery service. However, they are, um, their services are geared toward those who have vision loss. Um, I personally, as a vendor, know that the last thing that we want to be doing is fetching our um, prescriptions and then <clears throat> trying to find someone to read us the information on the bottles and so on and so forth. So they provide everything, prescriptions, vitamins and supplements, diabetic supplies, all manner of diabetic supplies, everything from insulin to syringes to um, diabetic equipment, um, the insulin um, monitoring, the glucose monitoring systems, um, infant, over-the-counter infant medications, pet medications, um, eye drops, anything that you can get from your pharmacy, accessible pharmacy services provides but what they do different. So what makes them accessible? They provide their packaging, they provide accessibility in packaging, labeling, and in support. In packaging, they'll package your meds in um, disposable pill, pill, pill planners um, that are tactile. They'll package your meds in the pill packs, just like Amazon does. They'll package them in standard size pill bottles or larger pill bottles for those with dexterous difficulties. 
They are um, contracting with Temple University to, to um, get an even larger bottle that's um, geared toward those with really serious neurological hand issues and so on. Um, for labeling, they will label your meds in Braille, in large print or standard print, black on white, white on black, um, and in with using script talk or way around labels. So audio, Braille, print. Um, they also provide some small um, accessible equipment like thermometers, blood pressure, um, cuffs, and um, insulin um, monitoring systems. In terms of support, they have, um, in the past couple of years, put on several webinars, um, blindness and diabetes, breast cancer and diabetes, eye drops, uh, eye drop administration, and most recently, a hugely successful Blind Health Expo, um, where we had 115, over 115 vendors and thousands of attendees. Um, they have um, done a webinar on the differences between a couple of the more commonly used um, insulin monitoring systems, glucose monitoring systems. They are now entering a phase where they are going to be um, accessible pharmacy services for refugees. So they are going to be um, printing, they can have the, they have the capacity to print labels in 200 languages and in, um, in terms of audio labels in over 50 languages. So certainly that benefits you know, anyone. It it's, might be, have started as a program for refugees, but certainly it would benefit anyone who's, for whom English is not their first language. Um, if a patient should decide to use accessible pharmacy services as their main pharmacy, they will do all the switchover. They will contact your doctors, your current pharmacy, and most of Importantly, all of the services that make accessible pharmacy accessible are free. So whatever you pay for, whatever a patient pays for their current prescriptions, that's what they would pay through accessible pharmacy services. So there's no additional cost. Essentially, they absorb the cost of the accessibility features of, of their company. Um, if you want to reach accessible pharmacy services to talk to them about whether it's, it's a fit for you, you can call them at 888-633-7007. That's 888-633-7007. Or you can reach them um, on Be My Eyes under Specialized Services. Um, they are under... Um, they're the only pharmacy that, um, well, actually, that I think CBS just uh, got on board. But they are through accessible through Be My Eyes. So Be My Eyes um, avails them of the opportunity to video conference with you. So if you receive, let's say you receive your um, equipment or you receive your packaging and you're confused and you don't know what it, what, how to work it or how, it's, it, it's, uh, how it follows, um, they will run through that with you. They'll really do um, other things. I mean, if you, let's, you know, we all have done it, drop a pill. God, I don't know which one this was. 
you can really can video in with them through Be My Eyes and they'll talk you through that too. They'll tell you whether um, an over-the-counter med that you're taking might be contra have a contraindication to your prescription meds. And another really important thing that they do is um, when you are a patient of theirs, they look at your profile, all the meds you're taking, all the supplements that you take, and they will analyze it to see if it's all working well together. So, um, for instance, we know um, that someone who was taking um, medication for um, cholesterol and found out that a vitamin supplement that he was taking was preventing it from being optimally absorbed and changed that. So they, the pharmacist takes the time to look at your entire profile. So essentially the message is that accessible pharmacy services looks at you as an individual. And that's probably their, you know, what, what makes, what sets them apart from any other um, brick and mortar pharmacy that you might attend. Um, so I will at this point stop talking and if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Okay, if no questions, I thank you very much for your time. I will be in the exhibit hall tomorrow with some samples of the packaging and labeling. And if you have any questions at that time that you want to ask, you can talk to me there. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> we have three more panelists in this section. And following Marianne is uh, Robert uh, Surian. And um, he's going to tell us about uh, his job as head of business development and territory management in North America. And he's with Envision Technologies. So, Robert, are you online? Um, he should be there in person. Again, guys, you're running ahead of schedule. But the next presenter on the panel is here on Zoom. Um, okay, the next one is Patty Cox. I'm here. Are you? Hi. Hi. Okay, this is Patty Cox. And she's president of the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. Hello, everyone. And artist is, is uh, president of Ivy. And uh, they are going to enlighten us with the, what their organizations are all about. Thank you. Am I going first, artist? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm Patty Cox. I am the president of the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. And our organization is for anyone who has low vision, um, 2070 or worse, or um, an impaired field vision. Um, CCLVI has uh, many resources. We have a long resource list that can um, help you in many different ways. Um, a little background on me. Uh, I, um, I come from a long line of vendors. Um, my grandparents, great aunt, mother, um, ex-husband. Uh, so I've been with around vending 
all my life. Um, and we can offer peer support. Um, we have many different uh, Zoom calls. We have three Zoom calls a week. Um, and uh, the first Monday of the month is peer support. We do have games on the second and fourth Monday of the month. And the um, third Monday of the month, we have peer support. Our Thursdays are more uh, more working with uh, different things like cooking or um, you might learn some recipes. Uh, we do it with video uh, so that you can see exactly what um, what we're making and how we make it. Um, some vendors might be doing cafeterias and so, um, you know, you might get some recipes and ideas from us. Um, we do uh, more peer support um, on, on the other Thursdays, uh, either speakers. We also have Let's Talk Low Vision, which is on the third Tuesday of the month. And we have a, our website is brand new and um, it's very easy to get around on our website. And if anyone has any questions, I would entertain any questions. I don't see any hands raised. Thank you, Patty. Thank you. The next uh, person on our panel is Artis Bazin. She's from uh, Berkeley, California. And we all know artists. She is an integral part of RSVA. Okay. Um, the Independent Visually Impaired Entrepreneurs is another group uh, for entrepreneurs. And some of our members are vendors. Um, what the organization is all about is assisting people with business ownership whether they're a new person that's just trying to learn about entrepreneurship or whether they're uh, a business owner that's been established for years, our purpose is to provide training, to provide answers to people's questions and to assist them. Uh, we have a, a general IV email discussion list where anyone can post questions and other members will answer them, or people will just provide information that they read about someplace else. And if you wanna to subscribe to that email list, you can send an email to IVIE plus subscribe at acblists.org. Again, that is IVIE plus subscribe at acblists.org. We have a, a conference call the second Sunday every month, six o'clock Pacific, nine o'clock um, Eastern, which uh, is called the Entrepreneurs, um, gosh, my mind just lost the word. Um, Anyway, it's a, a, just a, a chat time 
for us to talk as entrepreneurs and we have a general topic that we have each month and um, we have everyone on the call introduces themselves and their business. We talk about the topic and people can ask questions of one another to gain insight or learn more. And we also have occasional uh, book reviews uh, calls and occasional training calls. I know last year we had one where I put an invite out to the RSVA announce list because it was about taxes. So I figured all of you guys would be interested in that. So a lot of the topics would be of interest to any business owner, whether they're a vendor or whether they're employed as a entrepreneur in another area. Another thing we have is on our website, which is ivie-acb.org. We have lots of links to different uh, business sites, such as um, SBA, the Small Business Association. Uh, we have to score, um, which, and both of those have lots of different um, links to various services, everything from writing a business plan to um, helping a specific um, entrepreneurs with specific things. SCORE has lots of classes, so we like to link to them. We also have several other links um, for uh, business owners on there. All of our members are listed on our website under our business directory. And that is so blind people can look who's on there and order from other blind people. We like to promote uh, blind people's businesses. So if you'd uh, be interested in that, you can contact me um, and contact Ivy. The Ivy email address is info at ivie-acb.org. Again, that is info at ivie-acb.org. And I'd also be willing to answer any questions anyone has. Raise your hand if you have a question. I don't see any hands raised. Well, thank you, all of you, uh, for your information and enlightening us. So let's give all of them a hand. Oh, you can see if Robert Syrian is in the audience now. I don't know if he made it in there or not. Can you repeat that? Okay. We are quite a bit ahead of schedule right now. Our next speaker is supposed to be at 3.20. Okay, is John Funk uh, virtual? Um, yes, he is. So um, we might want to like take a 15-minute break, and then I can give him a call and tell him we're running early, okay? Okay, good idea. How about a 15-minute break, folks?
Ladies and gentlemen, we, we have our next presentation lined up and ready to go. So if you could please take your seats. I also do have an announcement, a bit of housekeeping for you folks. So I, I've just found out today some unfortunate and some fortunate news. The unfortunate news is we cannot find a golf course to take you folks to learn how to play golf here in Las Vegas. However, saying that, we have reserved a couple spots at Top Golf, so we will be able to have a golf clinic on Friday. Here's the criteria. I have a bus coming 9.30 on Friday morning. I have 15 positions available. The first 15 people that come and check with me that say, I want to go learn how to play golf, I've got a spot for you. So sometime in this next couple days, catch up with me and let me know you'd like to go play golf. We'd love to have you. I can tell you from my own personal experience, it's amazing. I don't care if you're partially sighted or have no sight. This is a great opportunity to put a golf club in your hand and try it. It's unbelievably addicting. So I will leave it at that. But we do have our next present presenter ready. So with that, I'm going to turn the mic back over to our afternoon cruise director who will take up the, uh, take up the wheel from here. So uh, settle in and here we go. Thank you. Well, I have some unfortunate news also. There is no swimming because the pool is closed. <laughs> nuts. <laughs> okay. Our next speaker is online. His name is uh, John Funk. And he is going to uh, visit with us about hiring and retaining employees, which, as I said earlier, is extremely difficult in this environment. So, uh, John, if you're on, take it away. Thank you. Good, uh, good, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I w it sounds like the golf outing would be fun. Uh, it's too bad the pool is closed. So sorry to hear some of the bad news. But just to let you know, uh, you know, up in Fargo, North Dakota, it's uh, a balmy 35 degrees, and we do have a top golf. So if anybody wants to come to Fargo and golf uh, at the appropriate time of year, you're more than welcome. <laughs> so uh, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for inviting me. I appreciate it. Uh, Scott and I have been longtime, uh, first of all, longtime friends and longtime business associates. I supported his business uh, when he was up in Moorhead, Minnesota, for a number of years, and so. I've gotten to know uh, Scott and his organ your guys' organization and a little bit about some of the different facets of each of your businesses. Um, a little backdrop on who I am. Um, so I'm a longtime member of this industry, the staffing and recruiting industry. Uh, Spherion Staffing is a national organization with over 150 locations across the United States. Uh, we represent licensed owners, so I'm an owner in this business, just like many of you are, or all of you are in your businesses. So I have uh, uh, been in this business, actually on Sunday was my 27th anniversary. So I've done this for half of my life. Um, uh, I'm still loving it most days, but then again, it's a challenge on others. Um, our business operations uh, cover a number of different things and just want to frame this up and give you some ideas of my perspective. Um, so I'm based in Fargo, North Dakota. I have uh, four service locations and I, I, we operate in North Dakota, South Dakota and West Central Minnesota. So that's a very large geographical area. 
Um, and we have a team of recruiters in, in uh, four major markets as well as remote recruiters, which is uh, something that's advanced uh, uh, quite quickly um, over the last three, four years, not only with technology, but also with the pandemic. And so my perspective on hiring is that of supporting my customers, having gotten to know Scott and supported his business for a number of years. Um, and so we are a W-2 employer and we are recruiting firms that function as contract labor support to our customers. And so I have a quite a bit of experience in understanding um, hiring laws and practices as well as the federal guidelines. Um, I'm not as versed in all the municipal guidelines or state guidelines that are out there um, since I don't do business in all lower 48 states, um, but quite versed in how to manage uh, payroll, um, how to manage people and how to recruit and engage um, your support talent. Okay, so with that being said, I'd just like to give some, just some, maybe a couple minutes of, <clears throat> excuse me, insight to what's happening in the market, and then really um, an opportunity to open it up for you guys to for some Q&A and to really focus down into some of the different questions that you may have. And um, as I've supported Scott uh, previously in, in, uh, with this organization, I've done some uh, presentations and I, I wanna speak to a couple of things uh, right off the point. Um, one is talent is scarce. It's scarce at all levels in the market. The pandemic has heightened that um, but we've seen what we call the great resignation uh, with a lot of people exiting the market, um, the labor pool. Um, now that may change in 2023 with the economic conditions that we're at. There may be forecasts already have stated that we might see a number of those people actually re-enter the market. Um, but what they've been doing the last couple of years is, is standing on the sidelines and, and protecting themselves however they see fit. And whether or not they engage part-time or remotely or full-time, um, in 2023 is still to be determined. Um, we have continued to see rapid wage competition over the last three years throughout the pandemic. And really in the summer of 2022, we started to see that as an industry across several sectors starting to flatten out. That means that the competition, the hiring incentives, the, the quarterly increase in wages to be competitive has started to slow. In fact, we are now seeing from customers that they're not playing that game anymore. Um, I have a bi-monthly call with the rest of our owners group um, across the, the, the states that we do business. And I'm hearing that from a number of different um, owners as well as they're starting to see that flat spot, which is a sign that uh, customers, uh, clients and employers are starting to be more restrictive and more cautious in their approach to wage um, and how they control their expenses. And for many customers, wages are their number one expense and it's their number one item that they can control on their balance sheet, okay? Um, second of all is we're still seeing uh, a lot of attention towards safety and health um, in conditions. Uh, I know that when Scott and I have talked about some of the uh, organizations um, that your um, association supports, um, penitentiaries, county, state, uh, federal organizations have their own requirements and so that that layer of requirement uh, for safety and health protection is there constantly. And that's above and beyond, you know, background checks and drug screens and the different things that probably have always been there, but now kind of have been added on top of that 
vaccination requirements, masking mandates, and so forth. And so what we've seen is a greater tension on employees or applicants to participate in these environments unless they're directly in healthcare. Um, and we might see that again um, through 2023, it just depends on what happens in the healthcare industry. Okay, so what kind of general questions as your organization thinks about this um, gathering and, and some of the general conversations, what's the biggest topic when it comes to labor and talent that you're, that's probably a common thread for all of you? Uh, we can ask the audience here, maybe I can toss a few things out. Um, certainly competition just from the rest of the market and where we should be with pay to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To be competitive. We, we, right. want, we want to be competitive with the Walmarts of the world and the Chick-fil-A's of the world. And just kind of wondering what we can do, not only dollar-wise, to produce a, a, a good employee, but are there other aspects of the market that we need to be thinking about that we maybe never have had to think about before? Do we need to expand and offer health care or... Um, some other types of things, John, that, that might be out there. That's a great question. Uh, and I wish I had a, 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 a glass, you know, something I could shake and give you one answer that fits all. Uh, depending on your market, there are resources that each of you can look at. I encourage you to, whether it's getting online and looking at your local or, or statewide labor agency, whether it's a job service or a workforce center, and look at and look at rate information. They can supply it to you rather, rather quickly. The other thing is to use online search mechanisms such as Indeed or Monster, and you can look up competitive rates in your market. So this understanding of do you want to be in the, the lower 50% or at the 50% or at the top half of a wage market. And I would say that probably for many of you, your the talent that you're utilizing is part-time, it probably requires flexibility and scheduling. And so to, to go up against or to compare yourself to a retail sector is probably a smart move because you're right, Scott, the Walmarts, the Chick-fil-A's, the other organizations that are asking their people, um, their employees to work four and six hours or have some flexibility or work weekends or work an evening shift if that's what your customer requires might be a, um, a, a great way to look at your market and also to look for talent that has demonstrated those types of things and flexibility. The other thing is um, benefits are always a question mark. Um, what is important to one person may not be important to another. I know we've had previous discussions about looking for people who are maybe semi-retired or who have state pensions or uh, you know other types of things to draw from where they're already getting their benefits. Uh, but if we're looking at younger people in the market, you know, a working spouse or a working parent, that flexibility um, might be more important than really benefits because at the end of the day, they can't spend benefits. Um, they really are looking for take-home dollars. And so um, I think, um, you have to do some research in your local market, but I would be hesitant to add on a bunch of expenses with benefits um, because they could be quite costly unless your organization has access to them at a much more affordable rate as a group rate. 
And lastly, um, you know, when you look at each of your business entities, uh, if you're working at a penitentiary or a county facility or or if you're having somebody that's having driving responsibilities because they're running a route for you, um, you want to look at competitors or look at employees that are in competitive type skill sets. And that would be the best place to start. Does anybody else have a question? We certainly uh, can run the mic out to you if you have any questions. Um, I have a question for John. Um, yes. The staffing services, how do you um, um, help a customer? Like say a, a vendor comes in, uh, what is your uh, role? I mean, what, what do you need to know and how can you assist them? Uh, so, because probably many people wonder if going to a staffing service is uh, a better way to go than placing an ad or putting it on a bulletin board at a school or, you know, whatever. Right. Right. That's a great question. And and, and think, I'll, I'll explain in just kind of a general overview of the staffing industry. There are a number of players across the country that are in the staffing in, industry. You have everything from day labor services, which do very little vetting or very little screening of applicants. They're more of a, a dispatching, a send out a, a labor pool agencies. And then you go to um, industrial contractors, um, people who focused on industrial or hands-on skill sets. Um, and you might find organizations like Spirion where we would do everything from clerical to industrial. When I say industrial, I, I, I'm referring to positions where there's a physical requirement, where you're lifting, pulling, stretching, bending, warehouse work. That would be those route delivery. That would be those drivers, those types of things. The general role of a staffing firm, a W-2 staffing firm, is to basically um, hire and employ the person for you and subcontract that individual to your work site under your work supervision and charge you an hourly rate. That rate contains a markup. I'm going to use just a round number. If we were talking a $15 an hour pay rate and a $22 an hour bill rate, that $7 difference would include the fiduciary expenses of FICA, FUDA, SUDA, workers' comp, and insurance. And it would also include their operating margin to support you. Um, and typically what they would be looking for if you were to engage a staffing agency would be to understand your business, to understand the risk involved with having people at your facility, understanding the training and supervision that they would have, and then maybe, and then the agency would need to assess whether or not that encompasses their general scope of business. For many staffing agencies out there, they may have restrictions or insurance prohibitations, such as driving um, trucks or different things. It may also include access to uh, um, uh, places such as penitentiaries or so forth because they believe that there's a risk factor. So, you know, understanding and, and sharing that information with, your, with who you are serving as a client is important. That way an agency can tell you whether or not they can do the work for you. And then, um, you know, they're a search firm. Their role is to go out and find the candidates based on the parameters that you set. Um, you can participate in interviewing and reviewing those candidates. And once the selection has been made, um, that person is assigned to you. You're, you can help set the schedule and train the individual and then participate on a weekly basis, making sure that the time cards are approved and those hours are then billed back to you with that markup rate. The employee is owned by the staffing agency. So therefore, from an unemployment, from a benefits, from a risk perspective, it is a representative of the agency and not of your business. 
we have customers, large and small, that utilize us to protect them from risk, to protect them from what happens when something goes wrong, and it also helps them simplify their business. Um, I can speak to something as my 21-year-old son started a business four years ago, and he's in the lawn care and snow removal business. And one of the things that I did for him is I hired an agency, another uh, agency in town that I know well, and we sat down with them, and that agency manages and operates his payroll so that he can have a simpler business to, to run when it comes to workers' comp, quarterly filings, and those types of things, everything all the way down to W-2s. Um, in, in putting employees into his business on a part-time basis or a seasonal basis. So it's just an example of how it works. All right, do we have any other questions? And I was gonna mention too, John, just thinking about, um, thinking about employees and um, I wanted to share this story that I was very fortunate in the time I had my business at, a, at the four-year college in Moorhead, Minnesota, what started happening was that my employees would be with me during the school year, and once the school year was done, they certainly would move on. They'd go home, or they'd be graduating and moving on to bigger and better things. But what started happening was that it was kind of funny. They would start acting as the intermediary for other people to come in and do their job. They're like, look, we enjoy working for you. You're flexible. Um, we really enjoy the environment. It's right here at the college. We don't have to go anywhere. And they'd come to me and say, well, I know someone else that could do this job, but I don't think I'd recommend them because I know them. But I do know this other person that I think would be great, and I'm going to steer them in this direction so that you get another quality em employee. They would be concerned about the job they were leaving. So I, my point to this story is that sometimes if you folks look at employees you have that are good employees, that may be a string to another good employee. So, right, right. And, what, and one of the things that Scott and I, uh, as I was thinking about this conversation, Scott, I was thinking about to the number of years that we supported your business is, um, you know, as you said, seasonally, so we had those summers off. One of the things that the, a good partner, an agency, or a good employee can do for you is constantly be thinking of you. Um, if you were to incent and want to incent somebody above and beyond, a referral incentive would be a great way to do it. That way you pay for something that you get. And let me give you an example. What we have, or what I've seen uh, customers do, um, not only through the pandemic, but previously, is tie incentives, not only to their performance, but their ability to help you run your business. Um, I have a customer in Fargo that has become, become very creative, is that the, the referral of another employee is worth a gift card or whatever the dollar value is. Once that employee, even if this employee no longer works for them, if that employee works six months or a thousand hours or whatever the number is in their system, they track it. And when that person hits that number, they send them another gift card. And so you may have a former employee who maybe worked for you last year is still thinking of you and giving you referrals because they worked for you, understand your business, respect your business if they've been a good employee and continues to help you along the way. And so rather than paying them for benefits or something that becomes hard to administrate, 
you know, referral incentives for the next good employee are always a great way to help feed your business. And they can become your sales representative, your recruiter out there in the market for you. And if they're really good, you should refer them to me because I'm always looking for good recruiters. We have a question in the audience. Hi, John. Um, this is Ronald from Hawaii. I started my business, uh, my new business, a year ago, and I've had that hiring sign on the wall for a year. No one, no bites. <laughs> so what's, what am I doing wrong? I did indeed, it did not indeed work. Mm -hmm. uh, I went Craigslist, I went HawaiiHire.gov. Um, I asked around. Uh, the minimum wage in Hawaii is 11.25. I'm willing to go 15, which is what my uh, the shop across me is uh, advertising. Mm -hmm. I believe CVS in my uh, locations giving $17. Mm -hmm. It's a seller's market, uh, so. Uh, how can a blind vendor compete? Thank you. Yeah, Ronald, it sounds like you've been doing a lot of the core things that, that we all would do is, you know, talk to as many people as you can, get the word out, try the online methodology. Um, we've gone back to, it's interesting, um, uh, where people get online and, and use that. We've actually gone to thick places like churches. Um, and places where people worship, places where people have continued to communicate and care for each other rather than step away from each other during the pandemic. It's been very successful for us. It's a, it's a referral source that uh, lots of times where people get engaged, if, it's, if you're a member of a local uh, organization, whether it's your Rotary Club or your church group, it's a great place to start because people gather for different reasons. They're there to help each other. And Lots of times when we think about the grocery stores or other places, they've become places where people are in and out, they're transactional. So I would, I, I think a great recommendation for all of you is to think about where people that you know connect and use those places as potential referral sources or place to get the word out about what you're looking for, where people connect for something other than a transaction, where they connect in relationships. All right, any other questions? Scott, as you guys have gathered this week and you think about your association and you think about the industry and the, the network of support, you and I have talked about this before, when contracts come to your group, when there are business opportunities. Uh, about four or five years ago, we had a conversation about this up at the casino. We were talking about really understanding when a contract comes to you, a, a business opportunity comes to one of your members, are they getting really good information to understand the labor component, the labor requirement of that contract? Has that improved for you as a whole, Scott, or is that still a challenge? I, I would say in, in some instances, especially if we're looking at going into a new facility, that can be a challenge because we're, we're, we're just unsure. But um, um, I, I know in our state we try to provide some of that information if, if we can have it, but um, it, it, it is a challenge. It certainly is. How about that for a question for the rest of the group um, outside of the state of Minnesota? Is anybody else 
can give us kind of an understanding of the, the business opportunity, the proposal opportunities that you're seeing and how thorough they are when they review and speak to labor and the amount of manpower that it takes to fulfill a contract? Does anybody want to address that? Anybody had opportunity to look at another business and, and wondered about uh, what kind of hired help you would need and did you feel you got the answers you were looking for? Mike, you want to share some of that? Sure. Hi. Uh, hi. Hello. Well, I grew up in Fargo, so it's great to hear uh, another person from Fargo. That's uh, awesome, Mike. Um, so I, I look at, uh, uh, I guess, bids from other states a lot. And a lot of, oftentimes they'll inform you from a past performance or the past vendor, the previous vendor will suggest. But oftentimes I've seen from a lot of states, California, I know for one and a few others that they they actually have recommended uh, how much hired help and et cetera. So they give you a lot of that data, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they kind of rely on past experience and past performance. Mm -hmm. You bring up a, a great point. The state of California, I have uh, business partners and customers that do business in California and, and they have no hair left on their head. Um, uh, they pulled it all out trying to keep up with the California laws and as it pertains to labor. One of the, one of the things that we are seeing across the board um, is the influence of government into uh, our relationships with our employees, and not just through COVID, but mandates, but also continued. And you may see some of this, certain municipalities, certain counties, certain area, different states are invoking different legal requirements um, at all different sectors. The state of North Dakota is different than South Dakota. Minnesota is on its own course. And so as you think about your business, one of the things that we've seen when you get into some of these states or municipalities or organizations that you're servicing where there's a lot of regulation, it, it may be a good idea for, for somebody to look at that part of a bid or a proposal to make sure that you understand those things, not only from a past performer, but also they may be able to tell you where the compliance requirements are at. One of the big things that we're seeing is more, more compliance and reporting. You know, we must report wage information. We must, we must report in the state of Minnesota. Every time we assign somebody to a different assignment, they have to get another report on that they've been properly informed. So, you know, agencies and outside support partners to you can be a real asset to help keep you out of legal trouble but also to explain the process because sometimes there are, there's been a rapid development of new regulations and we're in that phase again over the pandemic that affect us and sometimes we don't even know about it. The other thing that I would encourage you to look at as you, as you look at these bids and proposals, if the previous um, contract owner is available for communication, I would interview them. I would call John or, or in this case, Mike from Fargo. Um, and Mike, I can't believe you're not up in Fargo anymore enjoying the 20 below weather from last week. So that stands on its own. But you know, what could they tell you about servicing the customer when they had that contract for three years? What were the pitfalls? How much time did they spend in the business? And how much help did they hire or were they, or did they do it all themselves? And so some of those bids or proposals can be somewhat deceiving because they don't always articulate who did the work. 
Was it the owner operator doing most of the work or did he have three part-time people that relieved him of that so he could manage the business rather than do the work? So just some thoughts on that is, you know, interview every opportunity that you can, but learn from the people who maybe been in that business um, to see if they can help you understand the, the general focal for labor. John, I do have a, a question for you. Um, in your role, um, do you, have you had business come to you and say, well, I think I'm going to need help, but I really don't know. Can you lay out a little criteria for yourself? These are the top couple of things I would look at to say this will help me evaluate some of the hired help that you are going to need, and this is my recommendation. Right. The first thing is the best that you can, and maybe your bid already inclu includes it, is to put together a job function, job duty, or what we would call a job description. What are, what are the role, what are the functions that this person is going to have to do? Are they going to be driving? What kind of vehicle are they driving? Who owns the vehicle? Okay. Are they going into a secure location? Um, what kind of background check or requirements does that location require? Um, and then general lifting physical requirements. Um, and then also just a general overview of how they will be trained. Those would be, I would think about the first half a dozen things that would be helpful because not only does it give you a chance to write it down and, and make sure it makes sense to you as the business owner, but really defines who owns what responsibility. Does the employee own this task or do I own this task and and supervise them. Um, if you, if they're going to an outside agency or somebody to look at their business, they'll be prepared to have um, have a credit rating review um, as a lender to your business, uh, such as a staffing agency, no different than than your PepsiCo, whoever you're buying your assets from. They're going to want to make sure that your credit rating is good enough and that you have the bandwidth to finance um, their support of your business. So that would be the second thing. Um, if, if you don't have a, a, a formal credit review, make sure that your banker is involved in it, that he understands how to respond to a credit request on your behalf. Um, and the last thing is, is make sure that you have uh, understood, you know, that competitive thing about what the wage rate needs to be. And you can quote a range. Um, uh, I, I think maybe, Ronald, as you were talking about in Hawaii, is if the right person walked in the door tomorrow, you know, and you've been looking for a year and they're the right person, would you pay 17? Um, so I think the other thing is, is when you go to market and you're talking, um, be flexible in that number because the person who might fit that might really be at a higher level um, or a dollar an hour or whatever it is. And you'll know when you see it um, just uh, so that, you know, you don't pigeonhole yourself into one number and nobody responds because that number doesn't meet that. I would use a $2 an hour wagering 15 to 17, Ron, if I were supporting you in Hawaii, and I would use that because depending on experience, depending on skills and, and the length of the time they, they want to work for us, you know, that, that might be more of a range rather than a finite number. Those would be an example, Scott, of things that I would put together to represent your business, not only from a recruiting perspective, but also looking for a business partner to help you with that recruiting. I have a, a question for you. Um, this is Artis. Uh, do you have tests that you make the um, possible employee fill out? Like, do you have a, a math test, a writing test, or a, 
uh, reading test or anything like that. Because I know what I've run across when I was um, hiring folks uh, before I retired um, my vending operation was that I'd hire someone based on the interview and then find out later they couldn't add two and two. So when they had, you know, um, change prices or um, assist with some things that they had issues with it, or um, they couldn't read the bar, the, you know, the date that was, the product was going to expire and things mm -hmm. like that. Right, right. That's a, artist, that's a great question. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay, so legal. If you are looking for applicants and you test one applicant, you must test every applicant that you review for that position with the same measuring stick. So uh, in our business, and also if you talk to your job service or workforce center people, they might tell you the same thing. They have testing available. Um, so if you're looking for the, uh, those types of testing, the highest level of appropriate transitional testing in the United States right now uh, that is um, available to be utilized is eighth grade, okay? The federal government has said that an eighth grade reading level, an eighth grade math level, an eighth grade reading comprehension level is the, the highest average comprehension level that can be measured and used for testing. For general positions. So uh, I'll give you an example, artist. The reading comprehension, the general math, the visual accuracy, um, the ruler reading, um, various assessments that Surion uses are all based on an eighth grade level. And now some of you might be surprised on that because you might have a college graduate or a high school diploma or something, but you got to remember that you might also have a, somebody who has a GED. You might also have somebody that is born in a foreign country and English is a second language. And so you have to find a measuring point that you can measure all at. Um, state entities and support networks such as job service can do some of that for you. If in fact you're posting positions, that's a great question to ask them. Can you provide any testing? Um, interestingly enough, your online systems like Indeed now also offer baseline assessments as part of the process. Um, if in fact you are testing, you need to be consistent that you're testing everything and you base that testing on the job duties of checking prices, um, uh, reading work instructions, those things that you've highlighted in your job overview, um, the job responsibilities and make sure that they apply. It's a rather simple test, but if they're doing math problems and they have to how many items are in this case? How many cases do I need? You're right, artists. You know, eighth grade math level should be able to comprehend and, and take care of that. And so um, for those cases or situations with our customers, I can only speak to ourselves. We provide those testing results back to our customer because they've stated as a requirement that they want to see. And every applicant that we present to them has to be tested with the same standard. Um, if, in fact, I have four candidates and I only test three of them, and I send the fourth candidate and the fourth candidate is hired. Legally, I'm non-compliant because I've not provided a, a level measuring stick for all four, all four candidates to be reviewed. Yep. Does that help artists? You have to, how long do you have to keep that uh, information? Do you have to keep that information on file for a certain amount of time? Audio, audio, John, did you get that question? 
Could you repeat it? It was, it was pretty muted. Do you have to keep that information on file for a certain amount of time legally? Any, any of those kind of records you keep? That's a great question. And depending on the state or municipality that you're in, that may vary. And that's my best answer to it. We as an agency in our business, um, that is part of an electronic record that stays with the employee through the life of their electronic file. Our file records, of course, go back to meet the federal requirement um, from the last date of employment, five years, from the date of application, a minimum of no less than three years. Um, if, if you were testing somebody, I would, I would talk to your local job service. I would, I would look that information up. Um, and it may just be nothing more than you have your application file and you print the records and you print those and you have those with to, so that that becomes part of their employee file. Um, applicants that you don't hire, um, I here again, it varies on state or municipality whether or not you need to keep those records or not. All right. Scott, one. Yeah, go ahead. Scott, one. One other item I know that you and I have spoke about is the need for background checks and drug testing to meet customer requirements. Here again, a third party vendor, you know, who's capable of doing that for you can walk you through the authorization process and the records response process and those types of things. That's also something that we see continuing at a high level in the market. The one caveat is that now with the legalization of marijuana in a number of different states, it's creating um, variable responses depending on which state you live in and so therefore again if you're drug testing somebody you have a requirement for drug testing make sure that you understand the state mandate or the state requirement because it may be different in Minnesota as it is in North Dakota we have another question in the audience great yeah my question is this let, let you you're talking about applicants if only if you got 10 applicants but you only want to interview four of them. Can you just test those four, or do you have to test all 10? No, you, you, that's a great question. You can take the, the 10 applicants, if you invite four in for review and you want to take them to what we call level two or the next level, then you would test those four. And if, let's just say I'm one of those four candidates and I refuse to be tested, I automatically self remove, I remove myself from consideration because I'm not doing what's required in the step of the process. All right. Any other questions? Fascinating topic here, and I'm, I'm sure all of you folks have an overabundance of employees just waiting at your door to be hired. So. Right. Scott, a follow-up question. When somebody leaves your organization, when they're no longer employed with you, any questions about that or any um, stories or comments that you have about good or bad? about how you exit an employee and what kind of conversation that creates for the group? I, I don't even, I'd have to think about that one. I don't quite know where to go with that question. That's a good question though. If you use an agency, the agency is responsible for maintaining all records, providing the end of the year W-2 information and any other federal requirement documents that are there. That's one of the advantages. The other thing is that when Scott worked with me, he never had to worry about an unemployment claim because since they were Spirion employees assigned to his work site, if a year or two years later they filed for unemployment, our organization would be the ones holding the payroll exposure and would be responding to any and all appropriate unemployment claims. Yeah, that was a great point. And that's something I totally enjoyed about working with you and, and Spirion was that 
that released me from that burden and I never had right. to worry about it. And, and that's part of the upcharge, Scott. You know, you and I talked specifically about that. And I, th I think that's one of the things that I want to, you know, share with the group is when you, when somebody quotes you in an agency, in a vendor position says, our markup for services would be, I'm just going to use a round number, 1.6 of payroll. So a $10 an hour pay rate would be $16 an hour. That's part of that markup. FICA, which is the social security, uh, SUDA, which is state unemployment, workers comp, which is a big, a, a big component of that, unemployment, as well as also business insurance. All those expenses are tied into that markup. And you're, in essence, you're paying for that on an hourly basis, not only from the day that you hire the employee, but also even after the employee has exited your work site, it's to cover those expenses that linger or are post-employment. All right, any other questions for our uh, panelists on employment here? We've covered a lot of subjects with this already this afternoon. Scott, is your group be behaving this week or are you having to be Marshall and, and keep them in well, line? So far, they've been pretty darn good. But remember, this is the first day of our actual conference. So I'm right. a little concerned by the time we get to Thursday, they might be getting a little carried away, but- uh, Right, right. You know, uh, the, the <laughs> you know, Las Vegas, What, John, what possible problems could I have out here, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, you know, the employment sector, and I've heard this from a number of, of employees and also from employers, the small business people especially, is there's a general fatigue out there. And I, uh, I think the fatigue is from so much oversight and intervention and continuous change in outcomes. And if you can provide a level of stability to someone when they apply and say, listen, I would like, if, they, if you say your role is gonna have 20 hours a week, and that's what they're looking for. Do your best to make sure that they get 20 hours a week because that's what their expectation is. So, you know, one of the, the one of the things in making that final hire to somebody, I would ask two questions. One, when something happens to you and you need my help, can you tell me what that expectation might be? Okay, and then two, when my business needs help, I would like to share with you some of my expectations. And that might be when I go to Vegas to, to spend four or five days at an association meeting and come back with new idea, ideas to help the business that employs you that you're able to cover for me with advance notice. I think it would be good it's, when you're in the business as most of you are, where you're working in it day to day, it's a very valid thing to have that conversation as you start your relationship with an employee. Ex exchange expectations. And don't be afraid to write them down because that way you don't forget them and that way you can refer back to that first day or second day conversation when those expectations were voiced so that you can stay within the parameters. All right, one, one last call for any other questions about employment. Um, do you recommend having an employment handbook? I do. If in fact one can be a, a, a general form document can be made readily available, 
Um, there are lots of forms that you can build off of that clearly state what to do in this situation, what to do in that situation. Your customer, your bids that you're responding to may have protocols that you can copy and paste and put into a handbook because they become your customer's expectations. And lots of times, based on what I've heard and as Scott and I have talked about the businesses that you guys are involved in, is that some of that framework already exists in your bids. It's how we do business how often we have to service the customer, how we access the facility, what to do in case of inclement weather. If you just start with those general service actions that your customer has as an expectation, uh, and then the next thing would be communication. What to do in a case of emergency, what to do, uh, who do I contact? And if you're not available, what does that look like? I think that communication piece is the most critical. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't get into a handbook that contains a lot more than that to start with, because that general framework would be uh, uh, something that you can add to it and you can update more quickly rather than, and, and you wouldn't get overwhelmed with trying to come up with something that's 10 pages long and it has, you know, all kinds of content to it. I, I just don't think it is necessary unless your state or municipality that you're working in, California, Michigan, Pennsylvania, some of those states require something more significant. Okay, a, a quick follow up to that question. I create an employee handbook and I now have this. How often would you recommend I as the employer visit that handbook to make sure it's up to date? Um, I would annual, at minimum annual. Um, and if, in fact, you have an engagement or contract, Scott, say you have a three-year contract with your customer and you are able to rebid that and, and you assume that contract for years four, five, and six, um, at any time there's a change in your service contract to your, to your customer that you're serving, um, that would be an opportunity to review to make sure that you're in alignment with your, with your employee handbook and the expectations of service. All right. Any, any final questions for John here? It's been incredibly informative and it certainly has me thinking again about some of my aspects of my employees, so. Well, there was no other further questions. Uh, I, first of all, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I was, I'm always flattered when Scott calls and he's so funny. And those of you who have worked with Scott, when Scott calls, we talk Vikings football first. <laughs> We talk weather. The highs, we talk about, the lows, yes. <laughs> yeah, so we make sure we hit the lows, right? Yeah. We talk, And we talk about our families. And he talks about your organization as his family. Yes. Um, how much you, you have to, if you have a question in an organization such as yourself, your first rule should be to check with your, your audience that cares about you the most. Find out what they're doing. Ask, ask each other. Ask each other for best practices. That's the strength in being in an association is utilizing each other for not only vetting your issues, but also testing your, your challenges and questions and your opportunities because they may have experienced something in that. They have a firsthand vested interest in, in being a business owner as well. And that way, you, you know, I could go ask my sister's cousin's uncle's nephew for business advice, <laughs> but if he doesn't have the business advice I'm looking for, I should never ask him. Nope. So um, I think it's a good, I, I think your organization and the strength that you have in your organization, you should, you should always look to first. Absolutely. Well, John, we thank you. Let's give John an amazing round of applause. All the knowledge he's brought to us today. Thank you so much.
please stay warm in Fargo, North Dakota. I'll, I'll bag up a, a bag of air and I'll try to bring it back for you. How's that? You guys have a great week and enjoy each other's uh, fellowship and, and, and business activities. And get, travel home safely. I know traveling these days is always a challenge. And, and remember, if something crazy happens in Vegas, it stays in Vegas, right? <laughs> right on, right? Right, on. Right, All right. right Take care, everybody. Thank you so much, John. All right, I'm going to turn the mic back over to our cruise director. There's still no swimming. <laughs> Well, I think we have reached the end of the day, except for uh, we have two breakout sessions, and um, one is state administrators, and the second one is state, state committee chairpersons meeting. Um, Scott? Directors, directors on the other side. Directors on, the, on, on the other side of the wall, and the committee chairs are in here. In the back of the room here. Back of the room. Okay. Okay. Um, Do you have any wanna, door prizes? Um, let me uh, first give the ending code. Yep. Um, the ending code is B, letter B for boy, 213R for right. And uh, for the, as far as Zoom participation, the uh, state committee one is on this same webinar but the um, administrators have a separate Zoom line. And I sent that out to everyone that said that they were uh, a BEP or administrator. Okay, and I think we've got two more prizes to give away. Is that correct, Artis? Yes. Okay, so the, the first name I'm struggling with, I believe they might be in the room. Um, I believe the first name is Isa, and I believe the last name is Egan. Is <laughs> Let's give her a hand. She's been a fantastic help to us this week. And I believe I have one more name here. Let me see if I can pull that one up. Oh, yeah, people are always willing to help. How about Ivan Delgado? Is he in the room? Is he here? I don't think so. <laughs> How about Thomas Neal? That's my last name I have. Thomas Neal, are you in the room? Okay, well, we'll, we'll bring that next prize over till tomorrow morning. So uh, once again, administrators, we'll have you on the, in the other room and state licensing or state chairs. We'll have you back in the corner back here. So thank you for another great day, and uh, we, will, we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>